Oh, so um, it's like a phone. It's not like a. It's not like WhatsApp. It's like a, an actual device. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a. Fuck off, Siri. Um, <laughs> Friday, July 10th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and Luxembourg Survivor, and with me today is Paul Peters, professional master's student and recently appointed minister for integration. Our third musketeer, Gordon <laughs> Derrick, has decided to see for himself just how badly Boris Johnson is handling the pandemic, and thus is not here today. I just realized, because of the date you were saying, that my mother's birthday is today, so oh. I am texting her right now <laughs> uh tell her i said gefeliciteerd <laughs> and also paul uh, gefeliciteerd <laughs> oh yeah thank you very much You're because welcome. of course you are because you live in the netherlands you are uh, obliged to fe- to congratulate everyone yes uh, who is in there well uh near related no uh, in, in the distance family distant family you have to congratulate yeah. as well actually yeah. if you could just text uh your father all of your sisters, their spouses, their children, um, and any of your mother's extended family, brothers and sisters, uh, on my behalf, that would be great. Okay, yeah, I will do that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You call me a recently appointed minister for integration. Yes. Has that to do with the fact that I am sort of your inburgering, your personal inburgering uh, tutor? Yes, this is correct. Ah, okay, okay, okay. And I was particularly, I particularly enjoyed yesterday's uh, lesson. In no small part because I had a dream that I was in a, driving in a car with Hugo de Jonge and Mona Kaiser last night. And I, we were like talking about very technical stuff. I can't remember what it was. I just remember the, the conversation was like sort of like very intensely kind of technical. And yeah. Who, who was driving in this situation? We had a driver. There was like okay. another person in the car. It, so I was in the back seat with Mona and Hugo de Jonge was sitting in the passenger seat. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was weird. It was a very weird. It, yeah, thing. it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's very weird indeed. And this is uh, related to the what you told me yesterday because yesterday you explained to me my new favorite minor Dutch political scandal. I think I'm gonna need more categories for these things. <laughs> yeah, we need more categories for this for sure. Yeah, it has to do. We we are going to uh, talk we're about the CDA. We're going to explain the it now. CDA. Yeah, yeah, we're going to yeah, but but it has to do with the CDA leadership vote which went totally wrong. But it wasn't the first time a vote uh, of the CDA went wrong, because in 2010 there was a Congress about... Um, the question was, should the CDA work together with the PVV in this sort of uh, weird... Gedoog constructie. No. Um, coalition form, which uh, meant that the PVV, Geert Wilders' party, uh, would not formally join the coalition, but would rather support them uh, throughout the cabinet uh, period. Um, so the question was, um, uh, the CDA members had to uh, give permission for that to join this coalition. Um, but the CDA was very polarized, of course, because there was one camp that says, no, we, don't, we absolutely do not want that. And another camp who just wanted to be in power uh, said, we just gonna have to do this. Um, so they hold a Congress and they had to, they had a vote at the end. The Congress lasted 10 hours. It oh was broadcasted on live television. It was watched by almost 2 million people. It was the best thing ever. 
it's it, it, you can find it uh, find it in its uh, entirety on YouTube. So if you it. if you have some spare ten hours, you can watch the whole thing. But the voting was was probably the highlight because. Yeah. Um, yeah, Molly, you saw the video. You can explain it. What happened at the Well, vote? the question appeared to be somewhat oddly worded, I think, because as he was later explaining in this video clip, which I guess the, we can link to in the liner notes. Um, it was the chairman of the Congress yeah, who was sort of the, trying to lead this vote. Was saying that if you want to vote in favor of working with the PVV, you have to vote against this resolution and like vice versa, which is a confusing thing for people to do. So he just is standing up on this podium asking people to put up their votes, but it's clear that like the crowd is very confused and he's getting really frustrated and this keeps going. So then they decide that they're going to like rework this thing and like take another vote. And then there's like booing and it's just chaos and mass hysteria basically. Yeah. 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 And then he, uh, at some point he says, uh, we're going to vote for resolution two now, even though uh, he actually meant one. Mm -hmm. So that added to the confusion. So, uh, um, and, and then he said, you're going to have to uh, use your, yellow voting paper right. if you are in in favor and your blue one and the, he, he mixes up the colors, the colors so it is yeah. uh, it, it's two and a half minutes of abs it's a compilation but it's two and a half minutes of of absolute chaos yeah. and we sh for sure gonna have to um link to that video in the yeah. liner notes we will link to the video in the liner notes but that will uh give us some insight as to what's coming up because another say they are voting situation was real terrible Yes, this, this is a nice, uh, nice cliffhanger. Yes. Uh, and you are in Luxembourg, survivor uh, again. I survived four days in Luxembourg. I did. I got back yesterday. But so. usually you're not that long in Luxembourg, right? No, there was a couple of cases being argued and they were on not on consecutive days. So I'm sort of there for a few days. So, for a couple oh, so you had days. some spare time in Luxembourg. I Well, yeah, I had some spare-ish time, but it was actually quite irritating because of course like it's not just free time i was still working but luxembourg has much more strict mask wearing than they have here in the uh. netherlands so you basically can't go out without a mask on and it was not comfortable it turns out to wear a mask for 15 hours a day um <laughs> i am not a fan and so I basically like holed up in my hotel room and like didn't leave. So not only do I feel like I survived Luxembourg, I also feel like I survived being locked in a tiny box for four days. <laughs> um, which is a, which is quite a quite a quite a good description for Luxembourg. Yeah, so. this is also true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I have to say, I was very uh, sort of amused at everybody that I came into contact with in Luxembourg complained about wearing a mask but they were all properly wearing masks so it is possible people who ride on dutch public transportation to put your mask on properly and leave it on for extended periods of time and i know this because <laughs> the entire country of luxembourg is like just ha doing it for 10 hours a day <laughs> how are they going to combine the excessive drinking with uh, wearing these face masks um I, ivs maybe i'm not sure they're, <laughs> they're gonna have to I'm sure Jean-Claude Juncker is working on a solution as we speak. <laughs> um, so we uh, we build our blanket fortresses uh, on this ungodly hour yes. uh, <laughs> on Friday morning. That you wanted to record at. This was your yeah. choice. Yes, but otherwise it would have been one hour later. So that would still be an ungodly hour. So it that doesn't really matter. It would be slightly more godly, I think. Yeah, that's true. But I woke up to the, to the sound of uh, demolition works... Um, 
commencing somewhere down my street. So it could be the case that you hear some noise as well. So I apologize for that, but I did my best. I I, I built an extra thick blanket Ooh, fortress. Oh, you this put morning. an extra layer on your blanket fortress. I put an extra layer on my blanket fortress. So perhaps it will help, and otherwise, uh, my apologies. Um, Speaking of demolition. Demolition. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> that was a great uh, That's great a great transition. I, I came up with the same transition, by the way. So no. I, that was extra funny. Um, yeah, Gordon was really sad that he couldn't join us this morning um, for this particular opf. I don't think uh, he's that sad, actually. Yeah, he is sad because of this opf. Because of the, the opf. That's for all the, for all the other reasons, he's not sad, of yeah. course. Um, so while in other places around the world statues are being torn down, last week Amsterdam got a brand new one on Dam Square. And no, this time it wasn't a slave owner on a horse. Instead, André Hazes, the Netherlands' most famous and beloved singer of the Levenslied genre, was honored with a statue of him depicted as a life-sized Lego minifigure made by street art Frankie. Why Lego, you ask? Because it was placed on one of these concrete anti-terrorism blocks that resembles a brick of Lego. The delightful statue was praised by many, but the fun didn't last long, because Amsterdam woke up on Monday with the sight of a decapitated Hazes. Vandals had torn off his head during the night. To make matters even worse, the same day the statue's uh, head was stolen by another individual who picked it up and simply cycled away with it. So uh, wait, w- someone decapitated the statue? Yeah. But the head was still there, and then yeah. someone else stole the head. Yeah. Is that correct? In, in, in the clear light of day. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because there's who, video of it, right? There's video of it, yeah, yeah indeed. Um, and the rest of the statue was also removed by the municipality later that day because nobody wanted to look at the decapitated André Haas's Lego minifigure. Which is um, It is still unknown who destroyed the statue and who has stolen the head. Rachel Hazes, the widow of André Hazes, who died in 2004, requested street art Frankie to make a Hufter-proof version of the statue made <laughs> out of concrete to replace it. Uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, the artist uh, placed the, uh, the statue without the permission of the municipality. Yeah, that's so, what he does, this guy. That does oh, the street art thing. thing. He, uh, yeah, he puts up these little, like, funny interesting designs or something in places and then like puts photos of them up on on instagram it's worth following him on instagram actually we have permission to use some of his pictures so sometimes we put them up on our own uh, instagrams ah very nice yeah. um so yeah uh hufte proof uh, hufte is the dutch word for um basically an asshole I think. yeah <laughs> so i am um, gonna start using the phrase hufte proof for sure it, that is uh, th- that's gonna th- become a part of my vocabulary I think it was once the word of the year. Mm. It's a good word. I support it, it. Yeah, but it was really sad because the the statue was was lovely. It was very yeah, it very was really nice. nice. It looked fun. Everyone's making photos of it, and then yeah, of course, some guy. We can't. A... This is why we can't have nice things. No. All right, Paul. So give us the uh, breaking news from Brabant. Dutch police have released footage showing seven sea containers in the North Brabant village of Wouse Plantage, which were in the process of being converted by criminals into a torture chamber and a makeshift prison. One of the containers had been soundproofed and contained a dentist chair nailed to the floor, along with an assortment of saws, handcuffs, scalpels and other equipment. The torture chambers, which don't appear to have been used, were discovered after police broke into the encrypted messaging service EncroChat, which is widely used by criminals. 
The police were able to identify and alert the intended victims and arrest six men who are facing charges of preparing to kidnap, serious assault, extortion and membership of a criminal organization. A 40-year-old man from The Hague was already watched by police and subsequent information from the intercepted messages such as photographs of a sea container with the dentist chair and talk of torture methods and abduction eventually led police to the grisly find. Once I have him in the chair, we'll know more, and but the dog has disappeared were among the messages exchanged via the network. Wait, did these people kill a dog? Because I am going to fuck them up. <laughs> I think they called uh, a rival criminal a dog. Ah, something okay, like fair that. enough. That's fine. Other criminals, I'm not so mad about. The sea containers were kept under observation and police decided to intervene when it looked like the complex was nearing completion. On June 22nd, police searched 13 locations and arrested 6 men. Some 24 kilos of drug, MDMA were found, as well as 3 stolen minibuses, 2 fast cars and a number of guns. So, um, yeah, another, another like normal day in Brabant, uh, apparently. Um, what is endo chat and encro encro chat and endocrine chat what what is <laughs> An- this thing encro chat encro chat yeah it's a communication service that promised its users absolute privacy and worry free secure communications uh, and of course it, be- it became very popular among criminals because of that uh, the system included a self destruction feature which deleted messages after a certain length of time as well as a panic wipe where all data on the device could be deleted at pressing one button um, Dutch and French police launched an investigation into the network in 2017 because they came across an increasing number of special EncroChat phones which were carried by uh, for example arrested uh, criminals or even assassinated criminals the police were successful in penetrating the chat network, which was used on customized Android phones, and they were able to read in real time millions of messages sent by criminals. Uh, Dutch police said in a press conference last week it was like sitting with them in a meeting room. Uh, the EncroChat company sent a message last month to all their users that their network was hacked and advised users to uh, immediately destroy their phones. Awkward. Yes, so it wasn't that uh, worry free. Wasn't uh, that secure, all. it no, turns no. out. Yeah, yeah. So did this lead to arrests, Paul? Yes, it did, because it has led to more than 100 uh, arrested suspects in the Netherlands and the seizures of 8 tons of cocaine, 1.2 tons of crystal meth, dozens of criminal activities, including violent attacks, corruption, attempted murders and drug transport were disrupted by police thanks to the hack. And in total, 19 synthetic drug labs have been dismantled and police have confiscated dozens of automatic fire weapons, expensive watches, 25 cars, almost 20 million euros in cash. So, yeah, you could say it was uh, very seems successful. Like it seems like it's been a good week for the Dutch police. Indeed. And now also this, this torture room, of course, which was also um, discovered by the police before they could actually use it. Um, and more arrested are, more arrests are, of course, expected because the police haven't finished reading and analyzing all the millions of intercepted messages yet so uh, yeah i was reading something online where it was just basically like kind of weirdly boring phrasing for a lot of like criminal deals right because like of course like criminal enterprises is also just like a form of contract negotiation in a lot of ways and they were being sort of very like kind of boring and boardroom about like their (laughs) meth purchasing or like their like kidnap planning and this kinds of stuff just so very yeah it was so it was literally like sitting in a meeting room with them because, you know, meetings are very often very boring and very yeah. technical. And so, yeah. They the had an poor... agenda. Somebody had to take the minutes. It was really <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 
19 more deaths from COVID-19 have been reported in the last week in the Netherlands, bringing the total to 6,132. There were also 432 new cases reported in the last seven days and nine new hospital admissions. According to analysis from the Dutch Public Health Institute, RIVM, 44% of infections were contracted in a known setting, and of those, 55 were traced to the home and just under 19 to wider family groups. So please stop with your circle birthday parties. There was also a mini outbreak in Enschede with six students living in campus at the University of Twente testing positive, and they are all now in quarantine. Speaking of being forced to live in an isolating situation, some quarter of a million maritime workers are stranded on boats because the Dutch government won't relax visa restrictions. The International Trade Organization for Ship Owners and Operators, ICA, said the current rules, which require seamen to fly home within 72 hours of setting foot in a port, are unworkable because of the impact of coronavirus on flight schedules and inland travel. There's growing concern about the safety and mental health of the seamen stuck on merchant ships and major international ports such as Rotterdam. Some of them have been there since the coronavirus outbreak. Wow. So that's almost four months now. Yeah, right? To be just Mm. stuck on a boat just looking at land in Rotterdam? Yeah, that sounds terrible. But at least those folks will be around to continue the human species after we've all been devoured by a plague of rats. Apparently, not all (laughs) businesses have bothered to have their premises checked for pests during lockdown, which has given them a chance to start entire colonies and evolve into highly advanced rats who are coming for us all. Pest Management Center K-A-Day has received uh, 1,235 reports of infestations by pests in the first six months of this year. That's 200 more than the same period in 2019. Wow. Yeah. That's disturbing. It's real disturbing. So other than the the rats, which will definitely um, lead to another pandemic, um, is there anything else going on with corona? The corona law is canceled. Uh, Following widespread criticism from MPs, the Council of State, and others, the government will water down the fast-tracked coronavirus law. The infamous app is being scrapped as are plans to give police powers to enter people's homes to enforce the restrictions. This all sounds like we basically just dodged living in an Orwell novel. (laughs) The duration of the law is also expected to be shortened from a year to six months, and Parliament will vote on it today. The vote is scheduled for later this afternoon, so there may be more news when the podcast is out, but as Paul has mentioned several times, we're recording very early early in the morning, so we don't know yet. In other news, since the start of the lockdown, there have been 294 recorded corona crimes, ranging from (laughs) spitting at police officers to claiming to have corona to shoplifters threatening staff. These aren't the same as corona measures offenses, which is like not maintaining the social distance. Those now uh, total 22,820, with some 15,530 fines issued. Now, Paul, that's a that's a lot, a lot of fines. It's it's a lot of fines. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it wasn't clear from the data, like exactly what everybody had been fined with, like if it also included not wearing a mask on public transportation fines and like other stuff. But yeah, it's a lot of fines. Hmm. Yeah. Now, Paul, I have a very awkward question for you. How has your sex life been during lockdown? (laughs) That's an impertinent question. (laughs) According to a report from the Rutgers Sexual Health Institute, the coronavirus measures have had a devastating effect on the sex lives of single men and women. It seems one third of men and half of women without a partner who had been sexually active before corona had not had sex at all since the lockdown began, which makes sense considering social distancing and all. But it means two thirds of uh, of all singles broke broke the one and a half meter distance rules. rules. Hmm. Yep, yeah. Maybe that's where all these fines come from. 
It's possible. Yeah. Although, I mean, as we heard earlier, the police don't have the right to bust in your door and see if you're enforcing social distancing in your living room. So maybe not. Yeah, maybe, maybe they, they met at a public place. Who knows? Yeah. I, you know, without getting like too much information about this, I did wonder when I read this thing whether or not they had compared it to because this wasn't like included in the data, at least that I saw like people who were living together and how much sex they were having during the lockdown. Because I can imagine, right, that if you're trying to homeschool two young kids while you're like working from home, that like the se- the amount of sex that you were having before this has probably also decreased because you're exhausted and miserable. So oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's just single people's whose sex lives have suffered during the lockdown. Now let's talk about my favorite road trip companions. But that's just an awful dream. Why Why would you dream something it like that? It was so weird. It was so weird. Yeah. Also, um, thinking about it now, we were in a British car because Hugo <laughs> de Younga was sitting in the left side but not driving, and we had a driver in the right side. Ooh. So, also, we were in the UK for some reason. It's very weird. Or Australia or Japan. Yeah, or Australia. Yeah, who knows? Coalition party CDA has decided to redo this weekend's election for the party's leader of the candidate list of the 2021 general election because the online voting procedure was unsafe. NOS and ethical hackers found that the identification procedure could easily be cracked, meaning that a fair election was no longer ensured. The party does not have an indication that this actually happened, though, but decided nonetheless to redo the election with better and safe procedures. Members will now have until Saturday morning to cast their votes. There are three candidates in the running for the CDA leadership, Health Minister Hugo de Jonge, Junior Economics Minister Mona Keijer, a.k.a. Molly's... um, uh, a road trip. Uh, <laughs> yes, my road trip buddy. Buddy, yeah. Uh, and the third one is, of course, MP Peter Onzicht, who um, is not Molly's uh, buddy for some no. reason. Wasn't no. he the driver? No. I, mean, I guess it's possible. I don't recall who the uh, driver was. Okay. Um, but I assume he was on Malta doing Maltese things. <laughs> oh, so. you could, oh, wait. In, in Malta, I think they also drive on the left side. Oh, yeah. Maybe we were in Malta. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Hmm. Um, and for a long time, of course, it appeared that the race would be between Hugo de Jonge and Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra. Hoekstra decided not to run, after which Keizer and Onzicht unexpectedly announced their candidacy. De Jonge is regarded as the centrist choice, while Keizer represents the right wing of the party. And Onzicht's campaign focused on the deteriorating position of the Tweede Kamer and MPs in terms of its right for information and holding cabinet and ministers accountable. I didn't know that that was a problem. Is it a real problem or is that like a... It is a problem because Omtzigt, Omz- he is of course involved in the uh, benefit scandal uh, yeah, yeah. and he's been trying, he's been requesting information for three years from the Belasting Dienst, yeah. from the Ministry of Finance. All right. And okay, F- and and, and uh, the MPs have a right for of information, of course. So yeah. if they request something, the government should send it to them. They have a three-week yeah. um, deadline, and they often just ignore this deadline. Wow. Um, okay. They don't they don't send anything, or they don't send um, yeah, everything they or what they yeah. wanted. So so yeah, that that that's also one of the reasons why a lot of people think Onzicht is uh, a good candidate because this needs to change. But the question yeah. is. If you if you now uh, elect uh, a Hugo de Jonge, a former minister, as as the leader of the CDA, and he becomes prime minister, will this sort of um, will this culture change, or yeah. do you really need someone who 
Uh, I mean, if there is one guy who will change this, it is Peter Omtzigt. And if he won't right. do it, who will? So that's all. I heard him once referred to as the, uh, he is like the Bernie of Twenta. That like people are like die hard. People who are into him are just like deeply, deeply yeah. invested in him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They held a debate earlier this week, right, Paul? Uh, yes, they did. On Monday, it was uh, they hold the only debate among the three candidates. Uh, the, deba- the, uh, the debate was structured to be conflict-free in order to avoid a repetition of the candidate debates of the PvdA, which were held in 2017 and were very bloody and aggressive. So they wanted to avoid that. Uh, they wanted to have a civilized debate. Uh, as a consequence, the debate was, uh, in my opinion, very boring and not very interesting. Yeah. Uh, the candidates agreed on most topics such as economy, health, and the benefits fraud scandal. Uh, The only remarkable new position was Hugo de Jong is calling for an annual debate on migration levels to ensure population growth remains sustainable. He referred to sort of the Canadian system as an example. Hmm. Interesting. Um, So who is leading in the polls that aren't being hacked? By, uh, <laughs> by ethical hackers. Uh, opinion, show, opinion polls have showed over the past weeks that the Jonge is the frontrunner, Omtzigt is number two, and Mona Kaiser comes in last. Uh, a poll was released on Wednesday, so that was initially after the uh, the first deadline, uh, showed that the Jonge is more popular among voters who wouldn't currently vote for CDA. Uh, so mm. that could be favorable for the health minister with the new elections, which yeah. um, end, I think, Saturday morning. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're going to have to wait and see um, how this uh, turns out. Paul, I hear you've been uh, out again. Attending all of the protests. Yeah, because apparently you think that I go to all the protests. I assume that this is all you do when we are not recording a podcast together, is just go to all the protests and run a torture chamber in Brahma. (laughs) Several hundred people took part in anti-coronavirus measures marches in the Netherlands this weekend, and dozen were arrested in clashes with police. They want an end to the lockdown, so I'm really confused because the lockdown is pretty much over. (laughs) Amsterdam was largely peaceful, but 15 people who refused to go home were arrested in Utrecht. In Wageningen, police arrested a number of people following clashes between demonstrators and riot police at a second anti-lockdown demo on Saturday. It seems like it's not Wageningen's fault. A group of football hooligans who had been banned from attending the protest in Utrecht headed to Wageningen to demonstrate there. Yeah, they demonstrated in front of Hotel de Wereld, and that's where... Um, Germany signed the capitulation uh, in World War II. So, yeah, that was uh, it was a significant place. Uh, I also heard that there was a demonstration uh, at an empty building in Rotterdam. It's not actually technically a completely empty building, it turns out. Oh, um, there was but a you're torture room correct. there? Uh, it depends on whether or not you're a person <laughs> of color, basically. Okay. The Virus Madness Action Group wanted to demonstrate at several editorial offices in the Netherlands against the reporting on coronavirus, which, side note, is also a thing that's kind of weirdly unclear to me, but sure, go ahead. A few people went to the media park in Hilversum, and in Rotterdam, some people stood in front of the Ade building on the Martin Mesweg, or so they thought. The newspaper moved eight years ago, and the building is now partially used to house a police precinct. <laughs> One of the protesters was quoted into Telegrapha saying he was surprised at how many police were present. Yeah, because they were protesting at an actual police station. Uh, well, they were misinformed, so I think they have a point here. But it's not the media's fault. It's their own fault. I mean, do you not Google? Like, I don't (laughs) understand. They moved eight years ago. It wasn't like they relocated three months ago. No, no, no. no. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just the dumbest thing. 
Is it, though? Because <laughs> farmers <laughs> staged another series of protests around the country over the weekend against the government's plans to curb nitrogen pollution. Dozens of tractors blockaded the junction of the A32 and the A7 motorways near Heron Vane, Friesland, on Sunday for several hours before moving on to a supermarket distribution center in the town. Some activists were dressed as the blackface characters were to Pete, because why not? The farmers are upset at plans announced last week by the agricultural minister, Carola Schoten, to restrict the amount of protein you using cattle feed in order to reduce their nitrogen emissions. So we are talking about cow farts here. <laughs> Meanwhile, three regional safety organizations in the northern part of the country have imposed a ban on tractor demonstrations until next Monday, claiming the farmers were deliberately threatening public order and ignoring traffic rules. A 17-year-old drove his tractor into a group of military police in a demonstration oh, really? last weekend. He has been charged with manslaughter, and that restriction was upheld by court in court yesterday. So... Yeah, the farmers complained that taking away their tractors was like cutting off their cocks. I don't know. Uh, they 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 claimed that it was part of their, you know, part of their sort of identity. identity. So yeah, they they thought it was really unfair. But just stick to the rules, and nobody will complain. And. If you like our in-depth farmers' protest news, please consider becoming a sponsor of the podcast. Your support lets us bring you all of the Alpef and also keeps Truby in dog food. We have a new supporter this week, Liz Sykes, who says she enjoys our job titles at the top. I can't remember who we stole this idea from, Paul. Do you know? Did we steal this idea? I'm pretty sure we stole this from somebody else, but now I can't remember who it was. I, I swear it was another podcast, but I can't figure out who... I thought, podcast I thought this just naturally involved into one of these things that we did, like the OPEF of the week, right? That that sort of yeah. was uh, uh, all of a sudden was there. I thought that this was there too. But you 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 listen to more podcasts than I did, so I yeah. So if it was uh, someone's idea, if you if if it was stolen, then you stole it, definitely. Yeah, if I, if it was stolen for sure, I stole it from like another podcast. It wasn't like someone mentioned to me this would be a good idea, and I'm just refusing to give them credit for it. It was like another podcast that did it, but maybe not. There were there are some things that, that we like definitely took from other podcasts, basically because like you know I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I was like, oh this this sounds better than what we're doing, and so we'd like change things along the way. But um, yeah, I thought the job titles things was one, but maybe not. The OPEF of the week is definitely uh, OPEF of the week is, is, is admittedly ours, and also the like weird Patreon questions I don't hear anybody else doing. Um, so that's also a thing. That uh, okay, yeah. I don't know if it's uniquely us, but at least it's not in any podcast I listen to. We, di we didn't deliberately steal it from someone. No, we didn't deliberately steal that one. That one I think Gordon came up with, actually, to give him credit. Her question is, do you plan to incorporate interviews into the podcast in the future, if not to talk about events of the past week, possibly to speak about a particular policy, sort of like a deep dive discussion on a particular topic? So we have done some interviews in the past. We've had Ben Coates on the show. We've talked to Janet Anderson and Stephanie Vandenberg of the Asymmetrical Haircuts podcast. And prior to Corona, we actually used to do a deep dive segment every week, but that's kind of gone by the wayside because Corona sort of took over everything. And I kind of like the new format. What do you think, Paul? Uh, well, uh, I, I like it too, but yeah, yeah we, we, we still did during Corona, of course, this deep dive into something, but it was Corona and we put it in, we put it in the front of the episode because it was, of course, the most important news, but yeah, I, I don't mind, but, uh, the in-depth parts was also, uh, usually, uh, fun and interesting. So yeah, yeah I, I, maybe we'll go back to the regular format in the fall. I guess we have to figure that out. Yeah. Who knows? We are uh, not opposed to doing interviews, though, so if any listeners have a good suggestion for her we should talk to, they can email uh, podcast at dutchnews.nl. Interviews are something that we have talked about trying to do more of, basically. Yeah. 
You can go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to support us and to get access to our Patreon bonus content. Speaking of which, we will be putting out a bonus podcast during the summer, which is what we usually do for our Patreon supporters, where any listeners can ask us any question and we'll do our best to answer it. So if you want to ask us who was the Netherlands' worst prime minister, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten, just just feel free to toss it at us and we will uh, we will attempt to answer it as best as we and moral standards let us. Yeah, we, 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 we try to do a sort of ask us anything. So you can basically ask us anything. So you can send your, your questions to podcast at dutchnews.nl. Uh, and it's open to anybody, not even the Patreon supporters. And this is a this is a good spoiler to know. We usually release our Patreon content publicly at some time after the fact when we've decided it's been long enough that the Patreon's got <laughs> something out of it. So the odds are good that even if you can't support us right now, that you will eventually hear your question being answered, even though it might take longer. Max Verstappen's hopes of a winning start to the Formula One season were dashed when technical failures forced him to retire from the Austrian Grand Prix. Verstappen, twice a winner on the Spielberg circuit, started in second place ahead of world champion Lewis Hamilton, but problems with his Red Bull's anti-stall mechanism ended ended his race on lap 11, which is ironic because it's an anti-stall mechanism. I should have at least scored a podium finish, I'm gutted, he said afterwards. Hamilton was demoted from second to fourth, being penalized for colliding with Verstappen's teammate Alex Albon towards the end. Verstappen will hope for a smoother run next year in the second race of the season, which is also being held in Austria. The Dutchman was one of six drivers who declined to kneel before the race in support of the Black Lives Matter protests. Hamilton, who organized the silent demonstration, wore a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, while other drivers displayed the slogan End Racism. Verstappen put on Twitter a message that read, I am very committed to equality and the fight against racism, but I believe everyone has the right to express themselves at a time and in a way that suits them. I will not take the knee now, but respect and support the personal choices every driver makes. Sure, whatever, Verstappen. Uh, I assume there is also football news. Yes, uh, the Dutch Football Association uh, will publish a protocol for clubs on how to restart matches while upholding social distancing rules. Public games have been allowed since July 1st, as long as spectators keep a one and a half meter distance, do not yell and do not shout and do not sing. Uh, so basically, the stadiums are shut uh, shut down, I guess, because... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, But the uh, KNVB uh, has said that this is merely a stop on the way to filling stadiums again, saying it aims to restart footballing life as normal as soon as possible. They wrote a 80-page protocol and it's uh, available on the Dutch News website if you want to re- if you want to read yeah, it. Yeah, you can interested. read it if you would like. Feel free. Feel free. I didn't read it because I wasn't interested. I didn't read it either. <laughs> <laughs> I thought 80 pages is just too much. If Gordon was here, he might have read it. Yeah. That's it's possible. That's true. Everyone who got mad at Hema for taking the label boy and girl off of their clothes has something new to get mad about this week. Dutch identity cards will no longer specify a person's gender. A change will take effect in five years' time when uh, other changes to ID cards come into force. That's to keep costs down. Campaigners say the move was a positive step for people who feel they did not belong in the binary categories of male and female. Predictably, this has led to a lot of people being incredibly dumb on Twitter. The government job site Werken for Nederlands, working for the Netherlands, has also scrapped the requirement for applicants to tick a gender box. Passports will continue to carry the holder's gender because of European rules, but if enough member states support the change, gender could be strapped from those identity documents too. I guess people are mad that if they forget their gender, they can't look at their ID- their IDs anymore to remind themselves. 
I guess, I guess, yeah. I don't really understand why people care that much about this. So. Me neither, no. I didn't actually even know that gender was on my ID card until uh, I read about this. On your Dutch ID card or your American yeah, one? Yeah, on my Dutch ID card. Huh. No, uh, yeah, it is on your ID card. Um, I, yeah, I don't have apparently. It, I don't have it here with me. Well, yeah, I look. I, li- I always like with idea cards that if you hold it uh, against the light or something that you can see your face because they sort of uh, uh, penetrated it with tiny dots which formed your, your face. I always like that. It's like a little Easter egg in your yeah, ID Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I don't really uh, understand why people would care about this M or this V on, 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 on your identity card. I was reading the comments on, <laughs> because I hate myself, <laughs> on the NOS article about this on Twitter. And some guy was really mad and was saying like, oh, like, what are they? What They're just, they're going to take my manhood away or something like this. <laughs> and somebody had responded to say, they're, they're taking away the M, not neat your people. Yeah. Which <laughs> was really funny. <laughs> Speaking of things that don't make any sense, let's talk about how much the Ave De Nazi got paid because I am very upset about this. I'm also very upset about this. Uh, police and the security service AEVD had a paid informant in the Dutch far-right group Nederlandse Volksunie for two and a half years, according to reports in NRC. Richard Prein was also an active member of the neo-Nazi group Racial Volunteer Force until the end of last year. He organized an anti-Israel demonstration outside the country's embassy in The Hague last September with the knowledge of his handlers. Brian distributed flyers, took part in demonstrations and wrote articles for the uh, NVU's house publication Wij Europa. His activism won him the trust of the party's leader, Constant Kusters, who appointed him leader of a local faction within six months. In 2018, Brian was voted activist of the year by party members, partly for co-writing a book, The End. Activist of the year? I can't believe neo-Nazi groups have like a fucking employee of the month bullshit yes. thing it's so great it's like a reverse to Diffie bocal exactly the the book he wrote was called the end justifies the means and the award oh, like... by the way was in the shape of a rijksadler the uh oh, the, the nazi uh, imperial no the nazi uh, rijks uh, eagle brian told nrc he was recruited about six months after joining the nvu in 2016 he received 50 euros from the intelligence agency and police for every bit of information which uh, culminated into a total of 3,000 euros over two and a half years. So for fa- he didn't have to do this for financial reasons. Let's just... That's uh, not any... Uh, th- like, this is not enough money. Someone should give him more money. Like, yeah. far-right groups are not something to be messed with. Like, they're not nice people. They, you should get more than 3,000 euros over two and a half years. Yeah, this is, this is nothing. But the, 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 the snitching is probably so much part of Dutch culture that... Um, yeah, this it, is true. It isn't it worth anything anymore. So we're just gonna have to snitch less because the snitching uh, devaluation is, uh, is is running out of hand. Wait, hang on, hang on. I'm reading ahead in the script. He's not even Dutch. No, <laughs> I didn't even read this part of the story. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, this is what happens. Uh, immigrants are paid less than <laughs> paid people because you can abuse them because they don't have a Dutch passport. Imagine, this is an immigration issue. Imagine if he was a lady, then he then we only would have. Oh put, my god! Uh, yeah. Then we only had to put to pay him uh, thirty five euros. Yeah. 
35 euros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Richard Prine's relationship with his handler soured when they were unable to secure him a Dutch passport so he could stand as a candidate in the municipal council elections in 2018. So he wasn't Dutch. Uh, he grew up in the Netherlands, though, with a French mother and German father, but only held French citizenship. He said his recruiters became increasingly demanding while offering little in return, such as when uh, left-wing groups tracked down his work email address and began sending him messages. As time went by, he said to NSA, uh, they saw me as part of the team. Uh, if they went on holiday, I was expected to stay in the Netherlands and attend demonstrations. Of course, the thing the French guy is mad about is that he doesn't get enough holiday. <laughs> and has to work too often. And I wonder if he at some point went on strike because, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm that's sure he did. did. Well, he, he went on permanent strike, basically. That's true, that's true. Uh, at the end of 28... At the end of 2019, Brian left the Netherlands and broke off contact with both the NVU and the police. He, um, he, he uh, sent back his Rijksadler award, by the way. Um, he said he had uh, approached the newspaper uh, to clear his name and show that he helped maintain public order, which he did. So he wasn't all bad. For example, there was a demonstration, I believe, in 2017 uh, in Rotterdam. And he informed uh, the police that other members were trying to uh, to riot. So that was uh, when the police could sort of uh, intervene and uh, uh, prevent this from happening so he, he did help maintain public order we're gonna have to give him that all right we can we can give him that and exactly that because i don't have anything else to give to somebody who belonged to a nazi organization for two and a half years and only got paid three grand for it <laughs> Like, either you're into the ideology or you're really bad at negotiating salaries. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, th that's also part of the criticism by some people. They say, he, he said in his interview that the money that he received, he invested in um in in in, in the party to to print oh, flyers yeah. for example or or, or uh print a um print flags or something like that so people are saying so the dutch government paid for neo-nazi protests which you know right. is indirectly true but you know he yeah. it, I, i'm sure his uh his information was also very useful so yeah paid informancy i mean it's a tough i think uh it's a tough line to walk because you know i you know if i was in some sort of cultist kind of you know violent gang situation I, I i would damn sure not be giving information about this away to the police because it's really dangerous for you yeah. unless there was something in it for me i mean i would have i would have wanted more than 50 bucks a pop but fair enough he, this guy got paid so little that basically it wasn't a paid informant yeah. it's anymore, definitely so, not the yeah. minimum loan that's for sure <laughs> no, that's true Interpreter Irma Slaus is a clear favorite in a poll to name the world's biggest sea lock, which is Slaus in Dutch, in Imauda, but sadly she will be shut out of consideration. Only the names of people who have been dead for over 10 years are considered for big public infrastructure works. Slaus shot to fame as a sign language interpreter during coronavirus press conferences with Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge. Slaus herself is notoriously media shy, and she has said in rare interviews she's not keen on her newfound celebrity. So now we are pushing for the IMATA lock, which will be 500 meters long, 70 meters wide, and 18 meters deep when completed in 2022, and will allow bigger ships to enter the Amsterdam port area to be called Slousy McSlouse Face. It was my... I, I submitted yes. that immediately after I saw that they were doing this uh, this uh, this name naming contest. I wasn't the only one. Um, no, and this is the official Dutch news endorsement goes to Slousy McSlouse. Yeah, of course. So everybody should go vote in this poll for Slousy McSlouse. Yes. 
That is a reference to Bodie McBoatface, which is the name of a state-of-the-art British submarine, which uh, got named that after a poll left authorities with no other choice. Perhaps someday politicians will learn not to let the internet name things. It can't be trusted. Well, the uh, the actual vessel isn't called Bodie McBoatface, unfortunately, even though it won the no. poll. Uh, right. I, I think it was a British state-of-the-art, very expensive research vessel. Uh, yeah. And someone, um, you know, jokingly... Uh, submitted Boatie McBoatface, which immediately uh, became the number one in that poll. Um, of course. But instead, they called it, uh, they named it after Sir David Attenborough, I think. Mm. But uh, this uh, research vessel also has a number of smaller submarines. Um, oh, and, and one of and those one of became, those Boaty became Boaty McBoatface. Boaty McBoatface. Yeah. So. I think we should name the Slouse Slousey McSlouseface. I, I, I fully agree. Yeah. 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 I really really want them to name it Slousy McSlousy. Wouldn't that be just the funniest thing? It would be one of the only good things to happen in 2020, frankly. And so. in I'm Out in general. Yeah, I mean, in I'm Out in general. It would be the best thing that's happened to I'm Out since... <laughs> since ever, literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that we have for you this week. Next week will be the last week of our regular podcast because of the summer holidays, but we will be putting out a bonus episode for our Patreon supporters sometimes later in the summer. Anyone can ask a question, send them via email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. Uh, this is a sort of ask us anything podcast. The podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl, and you'll earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. You can also ask us a question. You could ask us two questions, actually. You could ask us one for the summer edition and one if you become a patron. Just so many questions. <laughs> yeah. My thanks to Paul Paters. We hope Gordon Derrick is allowed back in the country at some point, and we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.